0: soft story classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Chapter 10 of Joel, a Boy of Galilee. Recording by Esther and Simonides. Abigail sat just inside the door, turning a noisy hand mill that ground out the next day's supply of flour. The rough millstones grated so harshly on each other that she did not hear the steps coming up the path. A shadow falling across the doorway made her look up. "'You are home early, my Phineas,' she said with a smile. "'Well, I shall soon have your supper ready. Joel has gone to the market for some honey, and—' "'Nay, I have little wish to eat,' here interrupted, "'but I have much to say to you. Come, the work can wait.' Aviel put the mill aside, and, brushing the flour from her hand, sat down on the step beside him, wondering much at his troubled face. He plunged into his supper abruptly. "'The master is soon going away,' he said, "'that those in the uttermost parts of Galilee may be taught of him and he would fain have others besides the twelve he has chosen to go with him on his journey. "'And you wish to go too?' she questioned as he paused. "'Yes! How can I do otherwise, and yet how can I leave you and the little ones alone in these troubled times? "'You cannot think how great the danger is. Remember how many horrors we have lately heard. "'The whole country is a smoldering volcano, ready to burst into an eruption at any moment. "'A leader has only to arise, and all Israel will take up arms against the powers that trample us underfoot.' Is not this prophet Jesus he who is to save Israel? asked Abigail. Is he not even now making ready to establish his kingdom? I do not understand him at all, said Phineas sadly. He does talk of a kingdom in which we are all to have a part, but he never seems to be working to establish it. He spends all his time in healing diseases and forgiving penitent sinners and telling us to love our neighbors. Then again, why should he go down to the beach and choose for his confidential friends just simple fishermen? He has neither influence nor money. As for the choice of that publican, Levi Matthew, it has brought disgrace on the whole movement. He does not seem to know how to sway the popular feeling. I believe he might have had the support of the foremost men of the nation if he had approached them differently. He shocks them by setting aside laws that they would lay down their lives rather than violate. He associates with those they consider unclean, and all his miracles cannot make them forget how boldly he has rebuked them for hypocrisy and unrighteousness. They never will come to his support now, and I do not see how a new government can be formed without their help. Abigail laid her hand on his, her dark eyes glowing with intense earnestness, as she answered, What need is there of armies and humans' hands to help? Where were the hosts of Pharaoh when our fathers passed through the Red Sea? Was there bloodshed and fighting there? Who battled for us when the walls of Jericho fell down? Whose hand smote the Assyrians at Sennacherib? Is the Lord's arm shortened that he cannot save? Why may not his prophet speak peace to Jerusalem as easily as he did the other night to the stormy sea? Why may not his power be multiplied, even as the loaves and fishes? Why may not the signs and black slidings of the people be healed as well as Joel's lameness, or the glory of the nation be quickened into a new life as speedily as he raised the daughter of Jairus? Isaiah called him the Prince of Peace. What are all these lessons, if not to teach us that the purposes of God do not depend on human hands to work out their fulfilment? Her low voice thrilled him with its inspiring questions, and he looked down into her rapt face with a feeling of awe. Abigail, he said softly, my source of joy. You are rightly named. You have led me out of the doubts that have been my daily torment. I see now why he never incites us to rebel against the yoke of season. In the fullness of time, he will free us with a breath. How strange it should have fallen to my lot to have been his playmate and companion. My wonder is not that he is the messiah, but that I should have called him friend after all these years, unknowing." "'How long do you expect to be away?' she asked, after a pause, suddenly returning to the first subject. "'Several months, perhaps. There is no telling what insurrections and riots may arise all through this part of the country. Since the murder of John the Baptist, Herod has come back to his court in Tiberias. i just like to leave you here alone." Abigail, too, looked grave, and neither spoke for a little while. "'I haven't!' she exclaimed at length, with a pleased light in her eyes. "'I have often wished I could make a long visit in the home of my girlhood. The few days I have spent in my father's house, those few times I have gone with you to the feast, have been so short and unsatisfactory. Can I not take Joel and the children to Bethany? Neither father nor mother has ever seen little Ruth, and we could be so safe and happy there till you return.' "'Why did I not come to you before with my worries?' asked Phineas. "'How easily you make the crooked places straight!' Just then, the children came running back from the market. Abigail went into the house with the provisions they had brought, leaving their father to tell them of the coming separation and the long journey they had planned. A week later Phineas stood at the city gate, watching a little company file southward down the highway. He had hired two strong, gaily caparisoned mules from the owners of the caravan. Abigail rode on one, holding little Ruth in her arms. Joel mounted the other, with Jessie clinging close behind him. Abigail, thinking of the joyful welcome awaiting in her old home, and the children happy in the novelty of the journey, set out gaily. But Phineas, thinking of the dangers by the way, and filled with many forebodings, watched the departure with a heavy heart. At the top of a little rise in the road, they turned to look back and waved their hands. In a moment more they were out of sight. Then Phineas, grasping his staff more firmly, turned away and started on a foot in the other direction, to follow to the world's end if need be, the friend who had gone on before midst of the barley harvest Jesse had never been in the country before for the first time nature spread for him her great picture book of field and forest and vineyard while Abigail read to him the stories first on one side of the road then the other she pointed out some spot and told its history here was Dothan where Joseph went out to see his brothers dressed in his coat of many colors there was Mount Gilboa where the arrows of the Philistines wounded Saul and he fell on his own sword and killed himself Shiloh where Hannah brought little Samuel to give him to the Lord for the prophet Eli so old that his eyes were to him to see by the gate waiting for news from the army and when word was brought that his two sons were dead and the ark of the covenant taken here it was that he fell backward from his seat and his neck was broken all these she told many more then she pointed to the gleaners in the field and told the children to notice how carefully israel still kept the commandment given so many centuries before when ye reap the harvest of your land thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest and thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard, thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. At Jacob's well, where they stopped to rest, Joel lifted Jesse up and let him look over the curb. The child almost lost his balance in astonishment when his own wondering little face looked up at him from the deep well. He backed away from it quickly and looked carefully into the cup of water Joel handed him for more than a minute before he ventured to drink. The home to which Abigail was going was a wealthy one. Her father, Reuben, was a goldsmith, and for years had been known in Jerusalem not only for the beautifully wrought ornaments and precious stones that he sold in his shop near the temple, but for his rich gifts to the poor. Reuben the charitable, he was called, and few better deserved the name. His business took him every day to the city, and his home was in the little village of Bethany, two miles away. It was one of the largest in Bethany, and seemed like a palace to the children when compared to the humble little home in Capernaum. Joel only looked around with admiring eyes, but Jesse walked around, laying curious little fingers on everything he passed. The bright oriental curtains, the soft cushions, and the costly hangings he smoothed and patted. Even the silver candlesticks and the jeweled cups on the side table were picked up and examined when his mother happened to have her back turned. There were no pictures in the house, the loft forbade, but there were several mirrors of bright polished metal, and Jesse never tired of watching his own reflection in them. Ruth stayed close beside her mother. She is a ray of God's own sunshine," said her mother, as she took her in her arms for the first time. The child, usually afraid of strangers, saw in Rebecca's face a look so like her mother's, that she patted the wrinkled cheeks with her soft fingers. From that moment, her grandmother was her devoted slave. Jesse was not long in finding the place he held in his grandfather's heart. The old man, whose sons had all died years before, seemed to center all his hopes on the son of his only daughter. He kept Jesse with him as much as possible. His happiest hours were when he had the child on his knee, teaching him the prayers and precepts and proverbs that he knew would be a lamp to his feet in later years. "'Nay, do not punish the child,' he said one morning when Jesse had been guilty of some disobedience. Abigail went on stripping the leaves from an almond switch she had just broken off. "'Why, father,' she said with a smile, "'I have often seen you punish my brothers for such disobedience, "'and have as often heard you say that one of Solomon's wisest saying is, "'Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying.' "'Jesse misses his father's firm role, and is getting sadly spoiled.' "'That is all true, my daughter,' he acknowledged, "'and still I shall not stay here to witness his punishment.'" Abigail used a switch as she intended. The boy had overheard the conversation, and the cries that reached his grandfather as he rode off to the city were unusually loud and appealing. They may have had something to do with the package the good man carried home that night. Cakes and figs and a gay little turban more befitting a young prince than the son of a carpenter. "'Who lives across the street?' asked Joel the morning after the arrival. Two old friends of mine,' answered Abigail. "'They came to see me last night as soon as they heard I had arrived. "'You children were all asleep. We talked late, for they wanted to hear all I could tell them of Rabbi Jesus. "'He was here last year, and Martha said he and her brother Lazarus became fast friends. "'Ah, there is Lazarus now, that young man just coming out of the house.' He is a scribe and goes up to write in one of the rooms of the temple nearly every day. Mary says some of the copies of the scriptures he has made are the most beautifully written that she has ever seen. See, exclaimed joel, he has dropped from the rolls of parchment he was carrying and does not know it. I'll run after him with it. He was hardly yet accustomed to the light of being so fleet of foot, no halting step now to hinder him. He almost felt as if he were flying, and was by the young man's side nearly as soon as he had started. Ah, you are the guest of my good neighbor, Reuben, Lazarus said, after thanking him courteously. Are you not the lad whose lameness has just been healed by my best friend? My sisters were telling me of it. It must be a strange experience to suddenly find yourself changed from a helpless cripple into such a strong, straight lad as you are now. How did it make you feel? Oh, I can never begin to tell you, Rabbi Lazarus answered Joel. I did not even think of it that moment when he held my hand in his. I only thought how much I loved him. I had been starving before, but that moment he took the place of everything. Father, mother, the home love I had missed, and more than that, the love of God just seemed to come down and fold me so close and safe that I knew he was the Messiah. I did not even notice that I was no longer lame till I was far down the beach. Oh, you do not know how I wanted to follow him, if I could only have run with him instead of coming here. Yes, my boy, I know, answered the young man gently, for I too love him. This strong bond of sympathy between the two made them feel as if they had known each other always. Come walk with me a little way, said Lazarus. I am going up to Jerusalem, to the temple. Or rather, would you li- like to come all the way? I only need to carry one of these rolls to the priests, and then I will be at liberty to show you some of the strange sights in the city." Joel ran back for permission. Only stopping to wind his white linen turban around his head, he soon regained his newfound friend. His recollection of Jerusalem was a very dim, confused one. Time and time again, he had heard pilgrims returning from the feast, trying to describe their feelings when they had come inside of the holy city. Now, as they turned with the road, the view that rose before him made him feel how tame their description had been. The morning sun shone down on the white marble walls of the temple, and the gold that glittered on the courts as they rose one above the other, tower and turret and pinnacle, shot back a dazzling light. It did not seem possible to Joel that human hands could have wrought such magnificence. He caught his breath and uttered an exclamation of astonishment. Lazarus smiled at his pleasure. "Come," he said, "it is still more beautiful inside." They went very slowly through Solomon's porch, for everyone seemed to know the young man, and many stopped to speak to him. Then they crossed the court of the Gentiles. It seemed like a marketplace, for cages of doves were kept there for sale, and lambs, calves, and oxen bleated and lowed in their stalls, Till Joel could scarcely hear what his friend was saying, as they pushed their way through the crowd and stood before the gate beautiful that led into the court of the woman. Here Lazarus left Joel for a few moments, while he went to give the rolls to the priests, for whom he had copied them. Joel looked around, then for the first time since his healing, he wondered if it would be possible for him to ever take his place among the Levites, or to become a priest as he had been destined. While he wondered, Lazarus came back and led him into the next court. Here he could look up and see the holy place, over which was trained a golden vine, with clusters of grapes that large as a man's body, all of purest gold. Beyond that he knew was a heavy veil of Babylonian tapestry, hyacinth and scarlet and purple, that veiled in awful darkness the holy of holies. As he stood there, thinking of the tinkling bells, the silver trumpets, the clouds of incense, and the mighty songs, a great longing came over him to be one of those white-robed priests, serving daily in the temple. But with the wish came the recollection of a quiet hillside, where only bird calls and whir of wings stirred the silence where a breeze from the sparkling lake blew softly through the grass, and one voice only was heard, proclaiming its glad new gospel into the open sky. No, he thought to himself, I'd rather be with him than wear the high priest's miter. It was almost Sunday when they found themselves on the road homeward. They had visited place after place of interest. Lazarus found the boy an entertaining companion, and the friendship begun that day grew deep and lasting. End of chapter 10 For listening to another episode of Acresalt Story Classic.